Welcome to another episode of the SaaS Podcast. I'm your host, Omar Khan, and this is the show where I interview proven founders and industry experts who share their stories, strategies, and insights to help you build, launch, and grow your SaaS business. Today's interview is with Collis Taid. Collis is the co-founder and CEO of Envato, a network of sites used by millions of people for their creative projects. The network comprises Envato Market, Envato Studio, and Toots. Envato was founded by Collis, his wife and best friend, in 2006. The company is based in Melbourne, Australia, and has been bootstrapped since day one. Are you looking to sell your online business or buy one to start your entrepreneurial journey? Discover exciting opportunities with Bupos.com. Bupos is the number one platform for buying and selling profitable online businesses and the first to offer built-in acquisition financing for qualified buyers. At Bupos.com, you can explore their exclusive listings, browse listings from other marketplaces, or submit your own deal for approval. Bupos can offer pre-approved financing for recurring revenue businesses, allowing you to access fast funding with no personal guarantees. And their experienced M&A advisory team supports you every step of the way. To learn more, visit sasclub.io slash Bupos. That's sasclub.io slash B-O-O-P-O-S. Sign up today and get qualified to sell your business or find your next deal. Is your team struggling with spreadsheets that can't keep up with your workflows? It's time to switch to JotForm Tables. JotForm Tables is an all-in-one workspace that lets you collect, organize, and manage data seamlessly. Not only can you create online forms to gather data directly in JotForm Tables, but it also serves as a powerful tool to manage and analyze the data collected from your existing JotForm forms. You can also import spreadsheets or enter information manually, and all your data is stored securely in one place. JotForm Tables makes collaboration a breeze. You can share your tables with a single click and work with your team in real time. Say goodbye to version control issues and hello to efficient teamwork. Get started with JotForm tables for free today at sasclub.io slash JotForm. That's sasclub.io slash JotForm. Hey, are you struggling to grow your SaaS business? As a SaaS founder, you know that having the right tools is crucial for growing your SaaS business effectively. But with so many options, choosing the best ones for your needs can be overwhelming. That's where the SaaS toolkit comes in. This handy guide covers the 12 essential types of tools you need to supercharge your growth. Inside, you'll find a detailed look at tools successful SaaS startups have used to scale to seven figures and beyond. It gives you specific examples and makes practical recommendations to help you choose the right tools for your SaaS business. Don't miss out. Visit thesastoolkit.com to download your free copy and unlock faster growth for your SaaS business. That's thesastoolkit.com. Collis, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. Now, before we talk about Envato, tell our audience a little bit about yourself. Who is Collis when he's not working? <laughs> um, well, I'm a dad of two little kids, which kind of, uh, if, you've, if you've had children, those early years kind of seems to define your life when you're not working. So I've got a one-year-old and a three-year-old. Wow. Um, yeah. <laughs> That's all I'll it's, say. <laughs> it's pretty brutal. No, it's, uh, it's awesome. They are two wonderful little nightmares. <laughs> Very cute, two little boys. Um, yeah, so I, I think that that defines a, a lot of me. I'm I'm half English, half Iranian, um, but as you mentioned, uh, live here in Australia. A proud Australian citizen, though I'm a bit of a rubbish Australian <laughs> in the sense of I, I always feel like I let people down when they hear my accent. That it's it's not um, <laughs> it's not. Uh, you like know, I, <laughs> I, I was going to say that you know, I, from what I understand, you were born in England, but you left when you were pretty young. Yes, yeah, I grew up in a place called Papua New Guinea, which is uh, just north of Australia. Actually, it's like a little island nation. Um, but, but you still have a pretty good English accent. <laughs> How did you manage that? Oh, it's all over the place. We had an international school there in Papua New Guinea, so uh, just teachers from all over the world, uh, um, other kids from all over the world. So it was kind of nice in that sense—a real like uh, multicultural experience. Um, but yeah, it did leave me with a, a weird accent. <laughs> <laughs> I know exactly how you feel. I I grew up in England, oh, and I moved to here to the Seattle area about ten years ago, and I've got that sort of mixture of accents as well, where <laughs> when I'm here, people still sometimes don't understand what I'm saying. So, you know, <laughs> I have to say, you know, I want some water instead of water. Um, 
And then when I go back to England, some of my friends will say, why are you putting on that fake American accent? And I'm like, what are you talking about? This is how I talk. So anyway. A hard place. <laughs> All right. Now we like to kick things off with a success quote to better understand what drives and motivates our guests. What is one of your favorite quotes? Yeah. Um, I, I, so I've, one of my favorites is, um, it's like a, a, an African proverb, apparently. Um, if you want to go fast, go alone. And if you want to go far, go together. I've never heard that. I like that. Oh, nice. Yeah. I mean, uh, it, it just kind of encapsulates uh, a lot about entrepreneurship, I think. <laughs> um, <laughs> when you're especially starting out, uh, for me, I used to like doing things uh, um, by myself because I could just knock stuff out. But uh, ultimately, if, if you want to build a real big business, that you, you've got to do it with others. Can you tell me that again? If you want to go fast. If you want to go fast, go alone. If you want to go far, go together. Go together. That's great. Okay, let's start by giving our listeners a better understanding of um, Envato. Who are your target customers and what are the top pain points that you guys are trying to solve? Mm-hmm. So uh, we have a couple of um, segments of our audience. Uh, a big one is uh, freelancers and agencies, so um, professionals working in the design development um, space. Uh, so, for example, we sell lots of music to um, uh, video agencies making advertisements or promotional videos, that kind of thing. So we have a big uh, footprint in in the sort of space of uh, people who are making creative things for clients and sometimes it'll be in-house or but often often agency style um, and then the other big segment we have is uh, small businesses startups uh, companies um, uh, who are have someone who's a bit DIY a little bit of a tinkerer or someone who's happy to um, deal directly with a, a freelancer via say Invoto Studio um, so we service uh, that segment as well. And so the, the pain points, I guess, for each are a bit different. Um, uh, but they kind of, they come back to the same thing, which is that uh, we help people make uh, great websites, great promotional materials, great videos um, through uh, both assets. So Envato Market sells creative assets, whether it's like a WordPress theme or a um, an After Effects template or a photo or a great piece of uh, background music. Um, so assets and Envato Studio is people. So freelancers who can install your WordPress theme for you, design a logo um, or stitch it all together. And then on the side, we also teach people how to do things uh, through through the Tuts Plus network. Um, so if you want to learn how to uh, do one of these things, uh, almost to become a seller on one of our sites um, or to you know just pr- pursue a career in that space, then we teach um, all kinds of, uh, all kinds of uh, um, skills, web design, uh, graphics. We used to have a craft and, uh, <laughs> part of the site as well if you wanted to learn how to do cross-stitching. Um, wow. So, uh, yeah, <laughs> one of the more out there parts of the network. <laughs> but yeah, a lot of it's uh, in the same sort of uh, career creative space, audio production, if you want to be a DJ, that kind of thing. What were you doing before you started this business? So I was a a designer, a web designer. Um, I mean, I I studied math once upon a time. I was really lousy at it um, and became a a designer because I had a a best friend or a flatmate who was a designer. I was like, man, his job looks way better than my studies here in (laughs) doing math uh, and um, whatever it was. I can't even remember now. These days, math just looks completely like another language to me. At the time, I recall kind of understanding it. But yeah, so after that, I I, I became a a designer, a web designer, working for a couple of small agencies and then a freelancer. Um, so I sort of had some experience on the other side, needing things to get your um, project up and going quickly or um, stuff to kick you off with some inspiration. So uh, like a lot of entrepreneurs, I think I was kind of uh, um, scratching my own itch. Uh, um, I'd started actually selling uh, stock assets. So, uh, you know, when you're when you're a designer or a creative, you often have like um, stuff you just throw away or you don't use, concepts the client didn't like. Um, and I'd started selling little bits of Flash. Uh, if you remember Adobe Flash, uh, from way back, <laughs> I, I, I used to sell bits of those um, on other sites. And, and so the genesis of Envoto was really wanting to build a marketplace um, which was targeted at a person 
like me wanting to sell that kind of stuff and targeted a person like me on the other side needing just to get some stuff to go up and running or for a small project where the client didn't have much budget or whatever it was. Um, and so that we, we decided to kick off Envato, which was at the very beginning was back then it was called Flash Den. Um, and that was our very first product. So you weren't the first person to come up with an idea for creating a marketplace. And most people who come up with some kind of marketplace idea um, either never do anything about it or they they quickly find out how incredibly difficult it is to build a marketplace. You know, obviously you you've repeated that success multiple times over the years. But what was your experience? What what happened in those early days when you tried to build this marketplace? Yeah, absolutely. So, um, I, I as I said, I, I actually sold some Flash. So I think that was one uh, leg up in the sense that I had had some. I tested the market a little bit, knew that there were people who would be interested in buying Flash, and I'd been selling it via a, a marketplace uh, called iStock Photo, which was for photos mostly, but they sold Flash, um, and it was really not geared towards me. So when I look back, I think that uh, in a sense going into the business opportunity, I had a a proof point, if you like. You know, I, I tested the concept of selling Flash and knew that there were people like me who wanted to sell it and there were people um, on the other side who wanted to buy it and kind of knew the marketplace model worked. Um, so in that sense, I think it was slightly de-risked. That said, it is really hard to kickstart a marketplace, as you know. Um, you, it's one of those uh, particularly tricky um, problems in entrepreneurship. And, and marketplace models in the internet are, are kind of like, uh, they work real well, two peas in a pod. Um, so lots of people try them. And it's it's all about that, like kicking off the momentum, uh, I think. And it's much worse if you're in a space where there's not much interest or you have to prove the concept or, you know, um, it's something no one's ever heard of. In our case, selling Flash, um, I guess it was, I knew there was a market. So that, that kind of, I think, brings the difficulty level down a little bit. Um, the other nice thing about the, the marketplace that we got into is the people who buy and sell, uh, especially in those early days, were the same audience. So the, the only kind of person who could sell Flash was a person who could make and use Flash. And the only person who'd buy it was the same kind of person, someone who used and made Flash products. So I think that helped a lot. It wasn't, yeah, we didn't have to market to two separate audiences. Um, it was, it was kind of, you'd hit the same, the same group of people. And sometimes your buyers might also be sellers and sellers might also be buyers. And I think that, that, uh, was a big, um, lever. Like as we've gone along, that's become less the case. So for example, one of our big marketplaces is in stock music. And usually the people who buy stock music are not music makers. They're people who need music. <laughs> they're mm-hmm. like video producers or, you know, someone with some kind of multimedia project they're doing. And that's uh, a trickier thing to do. But uh, what we did was we leveraged the first marketplace we got into to slowly um, uh, like uh, to create sort of beachheads into these other um, adjacent uh, verticals. And that helped a lot because you kind of like uh, reuse the audience. Um, you just have to target uh, similar needs. So for example, a flash uh, maker, one of the things, I don't know if you remember back in the day when there was all those skip intro things, they used to often have like music behind them. So um, our early music offering was geared towards actually web uh, producers doing music or needing music and that kind of helped us get it off the ground and get a library in and then that having a library you could then start to market to um, uh, the kind of real ultimate buyers and like I think that's uh, the key with with those uh, marketplaces is um, you, know, you have two sides uh, you need to sort of flip between um, uh, pushing each side. Uh, it's Obviously, it's hard to do two things at once, so you kind of need to concentrate on getting some content in so that you have something to sell to the buyers and concentrate on getting some buyers in so the sellers can see some traction Then get back to the sellers and you know beef up that content library and then back to the buyers. And you kind of, uh, it's a bit um, flip-floppy. <laughs> so going back to when you guys came up with the idea, what did you do next? Did you mm-hmm. did you guys go in and just build a website and start trying to sell some some assets or what what were the steps you took? 
Yeah, so um, in it would be in 2005, I'd been working as a web designer freelancer and selling you know, selling stock flash. And I also sold a few stock illustrations. And I, I tried a couple of little um, experiments in that space. And I was making like $400 a month. So, I, you know, it was a, a reasonable little side income um, and was kind of exciting. And my wife uh, and my best friend and I, we'd often talked about starting some kind of business. Um, and we, as, as I mentioned, we, we, we um, settled on like this flash marketplace feels like it could be the thing and because we were uh, like my wife's a designer and my best friend's a designer um, because we were people who knew how to make stuff uh, the first thing we did was start making stuff um, which is not always the best thing to do (laughs) in our case it was okay you know you kind of go to your um you go to your skill set. I'm sure if I'd had a business background, first thing I would have done was model the potential revenue. <laughs> if I'd been a whatever a developer, I would have started choosing what libraries I was going to use. But as a designer, the first, the very first thing I did was design the website and as a logo. Really not that necessary, but <laughs> um, and we hired a uh, hired a web developer, um, and it took us it took us six months from. Uh, planning to actual launch of the of the site. And in retrospect, I, I mean, there's been a lot of uh, um, material these days about lean startups and you know concentrating on just the bare essentials and getting an MVP out. Uh, but back then, when I look back at the site we launched, it had a lot of extraneous stuff in it. <laughs> like I think we could have really carved down that um, that for timeline. for example. Like what? Oh, just a lot of extra features. So, for example, uh, I, I we imported a lot of the concepts from the marketplaces we'd seen. Like we we had this deposit system where you could deposit money, and then um, over time it would expire if you didn't use it. And um, you could also just buy things one off. And it's like, did we really need all that complexity? <laughs> could we just build a thing that just let you buy the thing that you were trying to buy? Um, but for some reason, I was like, that's the way you have to do it. <laughs> Let's build that. Let's build um, an inspiration gallery and let's build, like it was just a lot of feature overload. How much money did you need to get that business started? So we, I think in actual cash, we spent maybe $40,000, um, which is, uh, well, A, I guess it's 10 years ago. Um, it's not that long, but, you know, inflation or something, that must be worth more than um, <laughs> <laughs> it was at the time. Um, but also, I think the... Um, the market for um, makers has gotten a lot more expensive. <laughs> um, uh, so I think we did it pretty cheaply. I designed and did a lot of the front-end development. So we the only other expense we had really was a, um, a back-end developer who worked with me. It was someone I'd worked with before. And, you know, a few miscellaneous fees like hiring a lawyer and an accountant and whatnot. And did you guys just use savings or did you borrow money mm. from family? <laughs> Um, yeah, so we uh, so we used um, mostly savings until that ran out. Um, actually, the getting to launch wasn't that expensive, but um, it was another two years, I think, before we drew any kind of salary. Um, so over that time, after we'd finished savings, then we maxed out credit cards, then eventually borrowed money from my parents, which is a bit embarrassing, and moved in with Cyan's, uh, my wife's parents, uh, in their basement, which is also a bit embarrassing. <laughs> but eventually it all paid out. So now it seems like, oh, yeah, <laughs> go you. <laughs> but at the time, of course, you know, you don't know if it's going to work out. You could just be the guy who's got no money, <laughs> living in a basement and borrowing and <laughs> So over those two years, was there ever a point where you felt like maybe I should just go and do something else? <laughs> no, actually, because oh, there was a, a point just before launching that I thought that, uh, or not so much that I should go do something else, but that I'd blown it. So about five months in of the six-month uh, build, it wasn't clear that we were going to get to the, the finish line. You'd think it would be because we're only actually a few weeks away. But, you know, sometimes it just feels like, oh, you're having troubles. I think at the time our, um, our software dev was ill or there was some reason why he'd become um, unresponsive and you know we're five months in and we spent most of our savings and it was like oh god what are we doing here but once we launched on day one we had our very first sale which is actually in retrospect kind of a 
kind of an awesome thing. Uh, at the time, I was a bit like, what? We only made $10 on day one. Because, <laughs> uh, of course, when you put six months of work in, you kind of imagine the rest of the world put six months of work in. But they didn't. <laughs> they don't know you from a rock on the ground. Um, but, yeah, we had a sale on the first day. And by the end of three months, we were selling about $1,000 a week of Flash. So, um, you know, it's, it wasn't – given that there was uh, those three founders working on it and we, we were still um, getting our contract developer to, to add features it wasn't enough to give any of us any income except for the one guy we'd hired uh, but you could see money coming in and one year later we'd grown 20-fold so during that year although there wasn't enough money to um, pay us because we were just pushing it all back into the business it was very clear there was a growth trajectory so I think that kind of um, kept me motivated okay so you how, how what how did you get the word out about the the business how were people mm. finding you so we did all kinds of stuff uh, like i don't think there's a, a specific silver bullet that you you know applies in every situation so my sort of philosophy on these kinds of um uh, that sort of early marketing period is is to try a lot of stuff uh, you know have some analytics in place so that you can tell whether those things you're trying are working out for you, um, but try everything. So uh, for us, um, so having in mind that we were a, a flash marketplace, so we were targeting flash designers, um, we did things like go to flash forums and just, you know, chat to them, chat to people. That didn't scale super well, so I don't know if that was our best strategy. Um, we networked with like bloggers to see if we could get um, ourselves mentioned. Uh, we ran cheap um, ad campaigns, uh, which I think have probably, I'm sure there's still ways you can do real cheap ad campaigns. There definitely were back in 2006. You could run some pretty targeted um, campaigns on little flash sites. So we didn't have a lot of money, so we didn't do a lot of adver advertising, but um, just a few banners here and there. Um, we, because it was a uh, um, a site aimed at Flash uh, web designers. And um, one of the things that we use was a lot of web designers go to like inspiration galleries to look at you know other people's work. So um, the design of the original site itself, we managed to get featured on a couple of galleries, a couple of web design galleries, and that drove some of our early traffic in that first ten dollars sale. That's how that came. Um, and well, over time, about two months in, when we'd exhausted some of the the, um, hey, we've launched as kind of traffic. Uh, we targeted those design galleries by making a, we called it like a showroom. We, we pieced together something out of all the, some of the assets that we were selling and made like this kind of gorgeous showroom built out of flash and built out of the stuff we sold. And then we managed to get it featured on a whole bunch of sites um, uh, targeted at flash designers. So it was, it's a bit like a, uh, useless um, as an example for other people, I think, because it's so specific. <laughs> but I, I think the, the, the um, utility of the example, I suppose, is, is mostly just you kind of need to know your audience. So for us, understanding what Flash designers did, where they hung out, you know, where they spent their time on the internet helped us then target them. And we, we kind of tried all the different places we thought they might be. Like, oh, here's some blogs they read. Here's some forums they chat on. Here's some galleries they visit. Here's some sites they go to for tutorials. Let's put a banner ad there. And like, um, slightly systematic, but also slightly just like, you know, we drew up a big long list and went down the list trying all kinds of different things. Let's run a competition. Let's, you know, uh, um, have a, a wallpaper contest and see if we can get wallpapers into onto people's monitors or you know, whatever it was. And some of them were total fails. The wallpaper contest was an epic fail. It took ages and didn't go anywhere. Wow. So looking back at those early days, what do you think was one of the biggest mistakes you made that you wish, if I, if I could go back, I would do this one thing differently? Mm. Uh, look, I think actually probably the biggest one would be that we had an overblown launch. Like I think we could have paired the site right back and done something faster and earlier. Um, to test out the market because once we tested out the market it was uh, shortly later it became pretty clear that there was a, a market there and we started um, the way 
my mind goes is, okay, this is working in Flash. We can now do the exact same thing in the following niches. And over time, we've gone into eight or nine other spaces, uh, websites and um, music, video, etc. And I think that we overcomplicated the product, which then led to it taking longer to expand, if that makes sense. Um, I think that a simpler product would have let us then jump into other verticals faster, which would in turn have led to earlier growth. Because a lot of the growth trajectories were just based on when we started. And it's like, well, if we'd started one year earlier, presumably we just would have been one year advanced in our um, cash flow. So yeah, I think... um, over over complicating and as a, as a especially as a designer i think you you have a tendency to go oh you know it could do this and that and this and that and like uh i think you need to really try to focus down on the core of what you're actually trying to accomplish um make sure that thing works and is solid and then plan your strategy of what you want to do next at the end of the day development time is probably one of your most expensive resources um both in the sense of uh cost of making stuff but also just the time um of creating features launching features marketing them getting people to use them it's actually quite an expensive um thing and in a startup where you're trying to grow as fast as possible time is a valuable commodity are you an entrepreneur looking to buy a profitable online business or a founder ready to sell bupas is the number one platform for buying and selling profitable online businesses With their exclusive listings, as well as listings from other marketplaces, and the option to submit your own deal for approval, Bupos has you covered. Plus, they're the first to offer built-in acquisition financing for qualified buyers of recurring revenue businesses, allowing you to access fast funding without personal guarantees. And their experienced M&A advisory team supports you every step of the way. To learn more, visit sasclub.io slash BUPOS. That's sasclub.io slash B-O-O-P-O-S. Sign up today and get qualified to start your entrepreneurial journey or sell your business at the right valuation with BUPOS.com. Okay, so you launched in 2006 and then you said it took about two years before you guys started drawing a, a salary. At, at what Was that the point that you felt that you were starting to get some meaningful traction and growth with the business? It was just the point where um, finally we had enough profits that we could pay ourselves something. And it, was, it wasn't it was like a, a super salary for a while. Um, I, th- I think San and I were splitting a $50,000 a year salary um, between the two of us. So that was another year. And then just over time, we were like, okay, now we can pay ourselves a little bit more. You know, as, as a bootstrapped company, we had, had no investment. I didn't really understand that you could get investment. Um, it, that whole thing was a foreign concept. So it was, as a bootstrapped company, it really was make some money, reinvest that money, make a bit more money. Okay, there's just a little bit extra that you can take. Okay, then reinvest everything else. Um, and uh, with especially with a fast-growing business, we would just take everything that came in and see if we could put it back into growing the business um, more. For a lot of those two years, I kept doing freelance jobs in the evenings to also help um, pay the bills. So kind of work in two jobs for a while, um, which I think is probably not uncommon for most people who bootstrapped. Um, and, and that kind of helped. The traction point, though, I think that uh, the the two key points that I look back on was the first time was about three months in when we we reached about a thousand dollars a week and we we pushed a, um, our big promo campaign to build a showroom. That was a big traction point where I felt like, oh yeah, this is seems like it's going to happen. And about one year later, when we'd grown twenty fold in a single year and um, we'd gone from that thousand dollars a week to twenty thousand dollars a week, which um, is a million a year in run rate revenue. And that was the point where I felt like, wow, this is definitely, definitely going to work. And uh, I, I think seeing that traction mostly just spurred me on to thinking, let's reinvest more. Um, you know, uh, we can continue living. I mean, we're, uh, I think I was 27 when we started and Sai was 25. So, you know, we didn't exactly have a lot of commitments or a lot of, um, we didn't have children, didn't have a house, didn't have anything really. So we could live on uh, not a lot, which is good. It helps when you're bootstrapping. So why did you guys decide to start launching more products? Why not just focus <laughs> on the one? 
Great question. Possibly another of the big mistakes <laughs> um, actually was. Well, I think it wasn't a big mistake to launch more marketplaces because we had a real proven model and we then multiplied it. Um, but about six months in, I started getting into blogging and we started uh, first a site called Freelance Switch, which is uh, no longer around, but it, for a long time it was the biggest freelancing publication around. Um, and then a little while later, I started putting up... Uh, Photoshop tutorials and um, they got a lot of traffic and we so we started uh, um, PSD tuts just to teach Photoshop and then um, multiplied that into lots of verticals as well. I think it's just my uh, nature is just to make more stuff <laughs> and um, at the first product, as stupid as it sounds, got a little boring. It's like, okay, great, well, we've got this Flash marketplace, people are buying and selling Flash and it was taking a long time to get it to our second marketplace. So in my spare time, I just was like, hmm, let's start a site about freelancing. We know a lot about freelancing. We should teach people um, about freelancing. And then uh, the Photoshop tutorial site started because I'd gone to this, uh, if you've ever seen the site Point marketplace. It's called Flipper now, and you can buy and sell websites. Yep. And I was like, oh, I'll buy a website and I'll do it up and then sell it. And it'll be an interesting little uh, project. And I bought a site. I paid too much for it. I, it was actually quite a crappy site. I couldn't stand the idea of just touching it up. So I gave it a complete overhaul and just started publishing tutorials there and then couldn't stand to give it up. So I was actually a really, really bad website flipper. <laughs> <laughs> We still have that site eight years later. <laughs> so, so you and I sound similar in many ways. That you know, I we we have like the core of what we know we're supposed to be doing, but we almost have this this deep burning desire to go and build other stuff at the same time, <laughs> right? And you know, I mean, like personally for me, um, I started. You know, I spend a fair amount of time after I produce these episodes to publish them. Right? There's a whole bunch of stuff that you need to do from after you've done post production, you know, creating the, um, the adding the ID three tags to the MP three file, um, creating a show notes page, getting images, um, you know, a whole bunch of things that come on that take a fair amount of time. So I was like, you know what? I'm going to build some software that's going to do a bunch of that stuff for me. <laughs> and, you know, over, I probably started last month and I actually finished last night, which is this, basically this app, oh, which does wow. about 80% of what I wanted to do. Super and cool. it, it, it is, and, but it, when I thought about it, it was like, why am I doing this? Right? <laughs> you know? And I think it's just, it's this sense of excitement that, that, and I just feel like I need to be doing things like that. Right. So it sounds like you're very similar. Yeah. I mean, like the, the common wisdom is to focus, right. But the, uh, at some level, I think, you know, you have to also be comfortable with who you are and what, what you are. And uh, um, for me, I, I think the flip side of not focusing though, is you're open to all these other things. Like I'm sure along the way, as you've been building this software, you've probably had some other ideas around, Hey, I could do this thing with that. And I think um, being a kind of an exploratory type of person, which is the kind of person who likes different ideas um, does mean you're exposed to a lot of different spaces and a lot of different uh, opportunities you, you i think if you can temper it with some discipline uh, which i've tried to do over <laughs> over the years i think it could be quite productive um if you're not careful and you you don't learn the discipline bit it can well as you know you can just be distracted or a, a person who doesn't finish or whatever um but yeah i don't know i've gotten more and more comfortable with it but i i have gotten lots of flack about focus over the years <laughs> Well, it sounds like it's still it. It hasn't, you know, <laughs> you've you've still made a tremendous progress. It hasn't been business. a disaster. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so we talked about Flashdan, the freelancer site, PSD Tarts. Um, just uh, g g give me an overview of uh, how the other sites came up. Were you launching like one every year or something, or? <laughs> How how was that yeah. working? Uh, pretty quick for a little while there. So in 2006 we launched Flash Den. In 2007 we launched Freelance Switch and PSD Tuts. In 2008 we launched Audio Jungle and Theme Forest and Net Tuts, which was like a web development version of PSD Tuts. Um, one of the dangers also of knowing how to make stuff is it's it's actually so when you make a product, there's a lot of like 
after the you know the, the morning after lasts a long time you just have to run this thing right um but when you can make things you could just make them really quickly and then pay the price later at net tuts i i always remember it was like friday and i was sitting with Sam having a cup of tea and i was like we should do web development tutorials and by monday we'd launched it and by wednesday i was like having a big crisis about oh my god who's going to write these things <laughs> there's so much time needed to write these things anyhow i mean ultimately it led to we found this awesome editor editor who um, uh, produced a lot of the content and that was that all worked out but yeah so we were we were launching multiple sites a year but they were kind of new just new verticals in the same space that's one other mistake maybe that I, I, I sometimes regret is that I had this idea early on that um, we shouldn't just build a single brand we should make a sort of sub brand for everything we did and I don't know it uh, like it had some upsides, uh, especially around targeting sites to specific little communities. I mean, you know, the, the the people on Audio Jungle were really into audio, and they didn't really care that we ran other marketplaces. Um, but on the downside. We ended up with all these domain names and logos and brands, and half the time nobody knew that we ran all the other ones. Um, to this day, sometimes, even though we've now since tried to consolidate a massive amount down to just Envato and Envato products, we still get people who are like, what, you sell WordPress themes? It's like, oh my God, we really need to work on that navigation. <laughs> okay, let, let's talk um, about your community of authors and, and content creators now. A couple of interesting statistics that I came across on your website that to date you guys have paid out $224 million um, to these people. And I believe that 30 authors uh, are generating over a million dollars from Envato. Yeah, that's right. Can you tell me about one of those people? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, so we, uh, for example, the the top author on Envato Market is a, um, it's actually a partnership, a, a, a Pakistani uh, developer and a American designer. They got together on our site and formed a, a business together to sell WordPress themes, or more specifically, a single WordPress theme, um, which I believe has passed five million dollars in sales now, um, which is kind of mind-boggling for a single WordPress theme. Wow. Uh, yeah, and. It, it's kind of cool though seeing seeing an international partnership. It's like everything that's right about the internet um, that you know people from across the world who'd never met just get together and go, hey, let's do this thing together, and they've been really successful. Um, which is yeah, it's pretty neat. I don't think they've ever even met in person. <laughs> wow, what's yeah. the name of the theme? Um, Aveda, A V A D A. At least I think that's how you say it. Avada, Aveda. <laughs> tomato, tomato, right? <laughs> yeah, it's all the same. <laughs> but yeah, it's kind of cool. Uh, um, I mean, our, our mission statement at Envato is to help people learn and earn. Um, and the seeing how much the community has earned is, is kind of, it's kind of awesome to be a part of. Ultimately, you know, it's, you kind of have to be a bit philosophical about this kind of thing. I think probably a lot of them would have found other ways to earn money if we hadn't been around, but it's just kind of a privilege to have been um, a part of that success for this this huge community of creatives. And uh, how many people do you have working at Envato now? So there's about 150 here in Melbourne, another 100 or so spread around the world. So uh, yeah, maybe 250 people also kind of mind-boggling and weird. I still remember, you know, just a couple people in a garage. We have these all-hands meetings where everyone uh, gets together every couple of weeks, and I often stand at the front thinking, wow, how did this happen? <laughs> it's a bit, a, a bit daunting, the responsibility to, to um, make sure you run the company well with all these, these great people working here. So last year, I believe you guys were voted Australia's coolest tech company. <laughs> yes we were what makes you guys so cool <laughs> i have to know <laughs> um yeah look i think the the general approach to um flexibility helps a lot you know we've, we've got all these international people and we uh, we have a very flexible approach to working from home or working remotely we've got a guy here who's a self-proclaimed nomad who periodically just <laughs> um, goes to work from Chiang Mai in Thailand or you know other places in the world I think that that uh, has a bit of uh, um, a sexiness to it the idea of working and living anywhere it has a lot of uh, you know hurdles to cross as a business to administer this kind of thing and to make sure that um, 
you know, you're working to, to different laws and whatnot. But I think that was kind of cool. We work out of this uh, office, which uh, um, it used to be a, like a, 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 I don't know what, it's a heritage building. It's like a, just a very old um, Melbourne building, which we've, we've kind of uh, um, renovated to have a, a very sort of, um, you know, I'm a big fan of in, in, in buildings. I'm a big fan of old meets new. So it's, it's got a lot of old uh, rustic features of uh, old iron pipes from, I don't know, the 1800s. And uh, we have a courtyard with this giant um, chain winch thing that I think they used to load wine barrels because it was like a wine storage house. Um, and I think that's kind of a cool office, but yeah, Very I don't cool. know. <laughs> I don't feel super cool. So <laughs> I'm not sure what it is that got us the award. <laughs> so when you're not, um, you know, focusing on running the business or I'm sure you, you still have other side projects that you're working on at night. <laughs> what, what are you doing to create this kind of culture that your, your employees seem to love so much? Um, so I think culture, yeah. Look, I think a lot of it uh, um, is through how you behave and and uh, what you value as the, especially as the leader and founders of companies. I think you have a, a big um, you have a big footprint on 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 what happens after just because I think of culture as something that infects people it's like a virus and you start off with you know patient zero and the next patient who enters um, gets the virus in one way or another and there's a bit of mutation goes on with each uh, subsequent person but a lot of it stems from that beginning bit and I think the uh, culture of Envato is a, a lot of it's defined by our values so we, we put a lot of emphasis on our values and we try to make sure the values are not just things we say but we talk about them uh, with, in, in terms of like actual actions and uh, things that have happened. And I think that impacts the culture a lot. So, for example, our first value is uh, when the community succeeds, we succeed. So it's this like mentality of win-win. And we try to use that all the time. So, for example, uh, a while back there was a product manager who suggested, hey, you know, on Theme Forest, there's so much money going through that site. If we did like a paid search listing, you know, so maybe the top item on every search is a paid placement, a bit like AdWords, I think that would generate a lot of revenue, which I think it would. And we all kind of had this discussion and it's like, well, it's not really helping the community succeed though. Is It's just helping a very small elite group of people succeed. And yeah, we'll make lots of money out of it, but ultimately it doesn't feel like it fits with our values. So we canned the idea. I think that having strong values and having them a part of daily conversation um, has a big play on the culture of the place. Um, of course, you have to remember that any sort of uh, value for it to have meaning, everyone needs to be accountable. So periodically, I mean, I tell the staff that uh, uh, with values, it's like, you know, when you're playing cards and there's like a certain card, like the ace of spades that just trumps everybody else, uh, the values, I'm like that's like the ace of spades. You can have a conversation and it's like not on values. You can be like, hey, I don't think we should do this thing because of bam, values. And so <laughs> it sometimes comes back to haunt me when I'm like, yeah, we should do this awesome thing. And someone's like, well, does, is it fair though? I'm like, oh, maybe not. I guess we should go back to the drawing board and think about how to make it more values oriented. But it's good. Good. Ultimately, All right. I, yeah. So uh, let's talk about revenue. I, I know you guys don't disclose revenue numbers publicly, um, <laughs> but you do disclose numbers like the $224 million that you've paid out uh, to your, your authors and content creators. So, you know, taking an educated guess, I would be guessing that you guys are doing in excess of $20 million. Would mm-hmm. I be right? Yeah, yeah, I think that's that sounds about right. Okay, I won't push it anymore. <laughs> that gives, it's like, going I think, well. <laughs> I think that will give everybody a good sense of where you guys are doing. And are you guys profitable? Yeah, yeah. We've, uh, I mean, as a bootstrap company, you kind of need to be profitable. So we've been profitable for a long time. In the very early days, it was like kind of a fake profitability because we weren't paying some of the key staff, i.e. me, my fa- co-founders. Um, but these days, yeah, just a, a, a proper good old-fashioned profit line (laughs) is there one thing in your business that you're most excited about right now 
Yeah, I'm I'm, I'm kind of loving our – we've got a, this, this new – it's actually not that new. We started a year and a half ago, but a, a new product area called Invoto Studio, which is um, hiring freelancers to do small jobs. And it was kind of a logical extension from selling things to set, then go, hey, uh, we could tack um, – uh, people services in here you buy a wordpress theme and then you get someone to help you install it and that's been growing quite well we just passed the twenty thousand um jobs completed mark which is kind of cool it's just wow. a bit mind-boggling to think wow twenty thousand different freelance jobs have gone through there of course we're still pretty small in the you know in the world of freelance um job sites uh, but it's it's growing quick and um Logo designs is the most popular thing on there, which is it's, it's, I, I was surprised at. I thought there'd be other things which would be really big, but I guess every business starts with a logo. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right, uh, Collis, it's uh, time for our lightning round. I'm going to ask you a series of questions, and mm-hmm. I'd like you to answer them as quickly as you can. Okay. You ready? Yeah, shoot. All right. What's the best piece of business advice that you ever received? Yeah, uh, sometimes I, so my dad gave me this advice early on that sometimes it's better not to really understand how hard something is. But uh, um, if, if you're going to attempt it, uh, when we were starting in Vodou, it was like, yeah, you guys are a little naive about business, but that's probably one of your better strengths. <laughs> <laughs> what book would you recommend to our audience and why? I'm a big fan of 37 Signals uh, book, uh, the very first book, Getting Real. Uh, I think it's even available for free online. Um, and it just has a <laughs> that just kind of says something about me. It has a lot of stuff about focus. <laughs> <laughs> I should go back and read that too. <laughs> yes, I should reread it as well. <laughs> What's one attribute or characteristic in your mind of a successful entrepreneur? Uh, I think you have to be a generalist, so someone who's uh, you, uh, everyone has some kind of background, particularly good at a specific thing. But I think it's important to be um, open to and at least decent at doing all kinds of stuff. Because uh, as an entrepreneur, especially if you have no money or a bootstrapped entrepreneur in particular, um, you have to kind of do all the all the things because <laughs> you don't have anyone else to do those things. What's your favorite personal productivity tool or habit? Um, I, I have been into journaling for like a, a couple of years now. So I keep a, a journal, uh, um, using day one. If you've ever seen day one, it's like a iOS, um, Mac app. Uh, and it's, I mean, it's not completely productivity though. Uh, it's, some of it's just so I can remember what the hell happened in my life later on. But, um, part of it is also just, uh, especially for things like mood tracking. I use it for mood tracking. Sometimes uh, startup life is kind of stressful. And so, um, I'll keep an eye on on you know how I'm feeling about work, so that I don't uh, don't get too much into a, a, a rut about it. I mean that kind of I think eventually impacts productivity. Uh, you've got to be happy about what you're doing to to be productive. If you had to start over tomorrow, how would you go about finding that next business opportunity? Oh, how to go for? I think uh, I think it would have to be another passion like has to be something you you're really interested in um especially for for a a new business opportunity i'd always be worried of living in the shadow of the first one if it was too close like the one thing i would definitely not do is start anything in the same space i'd love to do something around storytelling i I would like to write a book myself and so doing something in storytelling um, like a site which lets people make awesome manga comics or i don't know (laughs) something in that space would be cool See, I knew it. You've you've got a bunch of things still inside that <laughs> head, right? <laughs> okay. What's an interesting or fun fact about you that most people don't know? Uh, my mum is the second cousin of Ringo Starr, the drummer from the Beatles. Wow. <laughs> awesome claim to fame. Yeah. I don't think she ever met him or anything like that, but they're both from Liverpool. <laughs> <laughs> and finally, what is one of your most important passions outside of your work? Uh, probably my religion. So I'm a Baha'i by religion. And uh, like one of my side projects is is I run a little blog called Baha'i Blog. Uh, um, and that is probably like to, uh, to understand me, you have to understand my work, you have to understand my faith. I think those are the two key things in my life. Plus, of course, the two little uh, champs who run around my house. <laughs> and although this wasn't one of the questions in the lightning round, I've got to ask you, how the heck do you get the time to do all these things? <laughs> I don't do a lot else. <laughs> like, uh, yeah, 
going out, movies, <laughs> a little bit behind on some of these other things in life. <laughs> <laughs> All right, great. Carlos, I want to thank you for joining me today and sharing your experiences and insights with our audience. And thank you for letting us get to know you a little better personally as well. If folks want to find out more about Envato or they want to get in touch with you, what's the best way for them to do that? Yeah, sure. So uh, visit Envato.com, E-N-V-A-T-O.com for learning about the company. Um, and you can reach me at Collis, C-O-L-L-I-S, at Envato.com. Though I get lots of emails, so it sometimes takes me a while to get back to things or I don't quite manage it. But I do read them all. <laughs> um, <laughs> that's the be- probably the best way. I'm on Twitter as well as Collis, so you can find me there too. Wonderful. Collis, it's been a pleasure and I wish you guys continued success. Thank you so much, Omar, for having me on the podcast. Cheers. Do you dream of owning a profitable online business or are you looking to sell yours? Bupos.com is the number one platform for entrepreneurs and founders alike. With Bupos, you can discover exclusive listings, browse listings from other marketplaces, or submit your own deal for approval. As the first platform to offer built-in acquisition financing for qualified buyers, Bupos makes it easier than ever to acquire a recurring revenue business without personal guarantees. Their experienced M&A advisory team is dedicated to supporting you throughout the process, ensuring a smooth transaction. Don't miss out on this exciting opportunity. To learn more, visit sasclub.io slash bupos. That's sasclub.io slash B-O-O-P-O-S. Sign up today and get qualified to sell your business or find your next venture. Are you still wrestling with rigid spreadsheets that slow down your team? Jotform Tables is a solution you've been looking for. Jotform Tables combines the power of a spreadsheet with the flexibility of a database. You can collect your data through customizable online forms and Jotform Tables automatically organizes and stores all the data submitted through your Jotform forms. You can also import and export files and collaborate with your team effortlessly. All changes are synced in real time, so everyone is always on the same page. But Jotform Tables is more than just a spreadsheet alternative with conditional formatting, data visualization, and more than 250 integrations, it's a complete productivity platform for your team. You can even automate tasks and workflows to save time. Ready to centralize your data, boost your team's efficiency, and take your productivity to new heights? Sign up for free at sasclub.io slash jotform. That's sasclub.io slash jotform. Attention SaaS founders, are you determined to scale your B2B business to that coveted million dollar ARR milestone? I've got something that can help you get there faster. Introducing the SaaS Club newsletter, your weekly companion on the journey to SaaS success. Packed with proven strategies, practical insights, and exclusive interviews with B2B SaaS founders who've been where you are, this newsletter is your ticket to accelerated growth. Each week, in just five minutes, you'll gain access to a treasure trove of growth tactics, lessons learned, and insider tips to help you navigate the challenges of the early stages and scale your business to seven figures and beyond. So why wait? Become part of a 4,000 plus strong community of SaaS founders and entrepreneurs who are already harnessing these insights to drive their growth. Visit sasclub.io slash newsletter and subscribe to the SaaS Club newsletter today. Gain the support and expertise you need to keep forging ahead on your SaaS journey.